Hello, everyone. It's that time of the week again. What time do you ask? Well, it's time to listen to me and my cousin Wayne talk about video games. So we hope that this is actually a very pleasant part of your week, and we hope it's a time of the week that you that you look forward to each and every week. But let's jump right in. So how you doing today, Wayne? I am contrary, as you have heard. I am very negative towards the world today. Hopefully that'll go away. But, you know, every once in a while the news just does stuff to you, and I've been following some anime stuff right now that's just making me lose hope in a humanity. Yeah, and we've got some stories today where hopefully some of them will pick you up a little bit. And, well, there is at least one story today that might make you lose a bit more, a little faith in humanity, but let's jump is right in. Sol- with- is it Soldier Boy again? Is he doing naughty things? He's actually pretty tame this week, but yes, we do have a quick thing about Soldier Boy, because, well, in case you haven't heard, Nintendo is going to be taken over by Bowser. Oh, no. And- <laughs> it Really, where's, it is. Where's Mario? Well, I'm not sure where Mario is, but uh, recently it was announced that Reggie Philemon is, or Philemon, I'm not sure how his last name's pronounced, is going to be retiring, and I think about mid-April, and then uh, he's being replaced by Doug Bowser. Now, I don't know much about this Doug Bowser guy, and I, I haven't really kept up much on Reggie Philemon. I I guess I heard that he is actually was actually pretty popular among the Nintendo fan base, but I just can't get over the fact that their new CEO is has the last name of Mario's biggest enemy. You know, you can't do you can't do any better than that. And from what I hear, uh, Reggie actually has very good faith in him. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't have chosen his successor going. This guy's going to suck. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's good to hear because, you know, hopefully he can roll with the punches as well as Reggie has and uh, pretty much be as involved as in the community as Reggie has, you know. You know and what would be really kind of funny? What if eventually when Doug Bowser retires, he's taken over or he, they, they replace him with a guy whose last name is Ganondorf? completely ridiculous but i would have never thought that there would be a guy named bowser taking over nintendo so it proves that anything can happen yes anything can happen in the video game industry and of course our good buddy soldier boy decided to chime in he posted oh god yes on twitter he posted a link to that art an article about uh reggie retiring and he said i made him retire Right, Soldier Boy. Right. Yeah. Keep let, on with that nice cocaine you like, and we'll we'll continue from there. If it makes you feel better, but it's like seriously, what what is it with that guy's ego? I mean, okay, as as at least as far as I've heard, he's been on the losing side of his battle against Nintendo, and he's saying that he made Reggie retire. But then again, I guess if I always had to listen to him talk about how my company wasn't going to do anything and can't, couldn't touch him and going on like he actually had a legitimate legal case, I would probably consider retiring as well. Well, like I said, faith in humanity has been waning. There's been this thing where people like to taunt 
lawyers recently, and it just doesn't make any sense at all. When's the last time you went up to a lawyer and said, you know, I really want to be the number one thing on your mind right now. I just never heard that's a bright idea. You know what I mean? And it's like, mm-hmm, yeah, yep. just keep on talking. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like, yeah, and well, our next story, it's one that's going to both break your faith in humanity and hopefully restore it a little bit. Uh, are you familiar with a guy named Tyler Barris? Oh, yes. We we understand the Barris man. We don't understand him, but we understand him, if you understand. Yes, because <laughs> he is, apparently he's a serial swatter. And in case you're not familiar with what that term means, we're not talking about swatting bugs or anything like that, or a fly swatter. Apparently, some people think it's funny to call 911 and claim that there is a, a hostage situation at some person's house. And as a result, 911 sends out the SWAT team. The SWAT team breaks into their house only to find out there is no there is no hostage situation. And apparently this became a popular prank to pull on live streamers where, you know, it's like, hey, look, that guy's doing a live stream of a video game, and now the SWAT team's breaking down his door. Isn't that funny? Well, this, I was uh, reading a little bit about this Tyler guy, and apparently he is a serial swatter. He has done this several times, and not only that, uh, when he was on his in prison, he somehow managed to get onto a kiosk, logged into his Twitter account, and made several stupid threats. Or no, he uh, he made several stupid comments. And again, this just shows what a deplorable human being this person is. And again, he has a history of doing this, but finally they decided that he crossed a line and he he's getting 20 years in prison because yeah, he gave he, a wrong yeah he gave a wrong address to when he was calling in a SWAT prank and it turned out an innocent person was killed because he thought it would be funny to interrupt someone someone's live stream by calling in the SWAT team so mm-hmm. now i now i think first of all i think it's good that they are starting to crack down on these people where it is now going to be, in some places, it is going to be considered a very serious crime. I mean, this guy's getting at least 20 years in prison. Now, do you think that sentence is too light? Or do you think oh, that... Oh, God. Dude, he killed someone. Don't don't think that anytime you call the SWAT to somebody's house saying that I'm going to kill my wife, I'm going to kill my children, I'm going to do anything. No, you're not pulling a prank. You're intentionally looking to get someone murdered. Yeah, they're and... not doing anything wrong, and they're not really doing anything, and it is totally malicious. It should be no doubt about it, life in prison. No, yeah. no parole, no anything, because it's stupid enough, and there's no need for it. Exactly, and like I said, that's why I'm glad that it seems that more places are taking this seriously. 
and unfortunately it took an innocent person getting killed to you know to really drive this point home and what a lot of commentators are saying the fact that this guy is in prison he manages to get on a kiosk and the first thing he does is he posts twi uh, comments on twitter it's like this guy is a psychopath i mean okay i'm no psychologist but i have a feeling this guy's got some mental issues and he should be locked away but and and one of the things i do encourage people to do even though they can't stop it is if you are a live streamer call your local police department and let them know give them your address let them know that you know because this is a serious issue let them know that you know you may be one day swatted that somebody may call up because of something you said on stream something you did let them know that yeah come to my house but because they're going to do it anyway they can't not for safety reasons but it's better to let them know that, that you're a live streamer that this could happen to you mm -hmm. and be prepared do not you know you, we got to as a community for gamers you have to take this seriously now someone has died it's not just it's not just fun and games anymore you know and i'm almost wondering sometime is this a sign of a bigger problem because when tragedies like this happen the news media and i have i have heard this is starting to change but sometimes i mean this is this applies more towards like school shootings and other random acts of violence but one of the theories out there is that the people who do these crimes are looking for attention and I would almost say it's no different in a case like this with the people who call, uh, who get caught with these, you know, calling in these swatting pranks. And, you know, as is, is focusing on the person who does that prank, that's giving them the attention that they're looking for. And as I said, I, I have heard to an extent that the media is taking note of this. And some news networks, when they cover mass shootings, they'll only name the shooter once and after that they they'll just say the shooter or what is always nice is when they focus more on the victims because i yeah. think it's important that okay these these people who commit acts of violence whether it's swatting or uh, i mean swatting is a little of a gray area i think both of us are in agreement where we think it's attempted murder but I guess from a legal standpoint, it's kind of hard to prove if there's malicious intent there. But I do agree it should cover, it, it should have very harsh penalties. Because do you remember back when we were kids, uh, sometimes the cartoons we watched would have like the public service announcements in it. Like I know G.I. Joe used to do this a lot. Where the more you, know. you know. Yeah, exactly. It's like you have, might have the a situation. You know. Knowing. Yeah. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> so if knowing is half the battle, what's the other half of the battle? Kicking commie ass. Yeah. Oh, pardon me. That's okay. <laughs> or or it's 25% red lasers and 25% blue lasers. But, blue lasers. Yeah. But, you know, because what they used to do, like with G.I. Joe, they might have a situation where there's a couple kids about to do something. Like they might be like uh, by a fire alarm. And one of the kids might be like, hey, let's pull this fire alarm. And when the fire department gets here, they'll find that there's no fire. Won't that be funny? And then one of the members of the G.I. Joe team or the Super Friends or whatever would show up and be like, you know, you shouldn't pull that fire alarm because you might be keeping the fire department away from someone who really needs help. 
And then they'd be like, you know, oh, thanks. We didn't think of that. And then, you know, they do the, and now you know, and knowing's half the battle. Exactly. Yeah. And corny, like said, corny as it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm glad they're, they're making stricter laws about this because, yeah, not only is, I mean, yeah, you are pulling police and emergency services away. And that could possibly be keeping them from getting to a someone who really does need help. But yeah, as it's shown, there's someone can and will get killed when this happens. So like I said, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that this, I'm, I hope that they do make an example out of this guy and that he, he spends the rest of his life in prison because since he has a history of swatting, no, he does not deserve to be out in the world, in the world of the, he doesn't deserve to be out of, of prison. I mean, he, if he gets out, I guarantee you, he'd probably do it again. I mean, you, you, you talked about one of the things is, it, can you prove maliciousness? How does anybody in this day and age thinking to send, I mean, unless nobody's seen like actual footage of a SWAT team going in, heavily armed and armored police people, SWAT troops going into a house, rolling in canisters of tear gas. How does anyone not understand that's malicious in the first place? Not even thinking about if somebody has a controller in their hand, any somebody has something in their hand that somebody can't identify and possibly getting shot. How can anyone say that's a prank? That's not a prank. Yeah. Sending someone in is an act of terror. It's an act of violence against somebody else. And there is nothing non-malicious about that. Yeah, so, and as a, like... And again, we'll see what happens. I think right now they're looking at at least 20 years. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that guy deserves to be behind bars for the rest of his life. So, well, now that we've, like I said, that, that story, it, in a way, it kind of breaks your faith in humanity. But the fact that they are throwing the book at him does, I think, restore your faith in humanity a little bit. But something else that will hopefully not only restore your faith in humanity, but also fill your tummy there's a food author, Chelsea Monroe Cassell. She wrote a book called The Elder Scrolls Cookbook. It's scheduled to be released on March 26th, and it is an officially licensed product. So, you know, no no problems, no issues with copyright here. Uh, it is approved by, who makes, who makes Elder Scrolls? Is that Bethesda? Bethesda makes Elder Scrolls, yep. Well, okay. or is it Zenimax? Uh, yeah, I'm no, not it's Bethesda. Sure. Bethesda. 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 Bethesda is the publisher. Bethesda is the actual game maker. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's interesting because I was reading uh, an article about uh, this author, and this is not the first time that she's made a book where she's tried to create recipes for fictional cuisine. Now, if she could make a book of Final Fantasy 15 recipes, I would consider getting it. Okay. I mean, some of the stuff for Tamarell, I will I will say, looks tasty. So, you know, it might be something that you want to go to your local Barnes & Noble or whichever, if there are other bookstores still wandering around out there, um, you know, and maybe pick it up and go go through it. it sh I wonder if she'll have, you know, what it looks like in-game versus what it looks like actually cooked. 
the article I read about it, it just showed what the picture looked like. I mean, at least the pictures from the book just showed what it looked like when it was actually cooked. But yeah, that would be interesting. And uh, I mean, I know there's other people that have made recipes, well, not necessarily just fictional, but um, we used to have this book called Kitchen Clones, and it was a book about how to make like things like duplicate like the Big Mac and various fast food items at home. And, you know, the guy wrote how in the intro, how he had to like reverse engineer and how it took a lot of uh, experimentation to get the, the taste just right. But so now have you played Elder, any of the Elder Scrolls games at all or? Um, I played Oblivion. I've played uh, Elder Scrolls 3. I played Skyrim. Um, I haven't played the, the first two. Um yeah, I've not beaten any of them because, well, I just get distracted. ADD for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the only one I played is Morrowind. I didn't get too far in that game just because I could never figure out where the heck I was going. And, you know, so I kept getting lost. I never really knew exactly where I was supposed to be going, what I was supposed to be doing. But I've seen speedrunners on YouTube beat that game in like 12 minutes and... I played that game for hours, just wandering around, not knowing what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> so exactly, no, I, uh, that's why blocks of text, man. Morrowind was just so much text all the time, and it was like I love like reading, right? It's mm -hmm. just I never had a good computer monitor just to sit there, <laughs> just like reading yeah. RPG text for like an hour. But I mean, I'm not gonna run out and go get the Elder Scrolls cookbook, but. You know, because like I said, just because I haven't really played much of the Elder Scrolls series, I I don't have that emotional attachment. But like I said, if she could make a book of Final Fantasy 15 recipes, I would probably be one of the first people to go out and get that sucker. Yeah, no, I I can't say that. I I mean. The food in Final Fantasy XV looks beautiful, no doubt about it. When you're looking at it, it just it just looks like something you know something that you might actually see in a restaurant or whatnot. So actually seeing uh, is it Tabata's vision of you know what the how those meals came to be or what they would be in real life that that would actually be an interesting read. Yeah, and I remember the, I love the Honest trailer for Final Fantasy XV. You know, it was talking about how you, at, you get uh, put in this linear path for the last few hours, and then it's like, you know, then you get players get to go back to what they really want, like lovingly rendered fantasy soup. <laughs> exactly. I would want the fat Chuckabo sandwich, though. That actually looked pretty good, but anyways. So did that story restore your faith in humanity at least a little bit? Oh no, not not yet. We let's let's try to go on to the next one. I think I know what the next one is, and that that restores part of it. Yeah. So if we restored your faith in humanity a little bit, prepare to have your prepare to have that torn down just a little bit. State Rep Chris Quinn of Pennsylvania has proposed a new law to put a tax on violent video games because after all you know if you want to get people to change their behaviors you know let's not look at what the reason why they do those behaviors let's just make them pay more money to engage in it 
you know how like some places okay they set a limit on the soda size you can serve at a restaurant or you know the extra cigarettes uh, or the extra tax on like cigarettes or alcohol well like i said this guy he seems to think it would be a good idea to impose a 10 percent sales tax on violent video games and he claims that the revenue from this bill would go towards security measures in school so this kind of ties into what we said last last podcast which was there's no proof of violence in video games and all of this stuff. But I got to say, if you're looking for a tax that'll pretty much just be buried and nobody will ever ask questions where this tax went to, 10% tax on video games, not a bad idea. Right. However, on the mm-hmm. other side, how many gamers since Pennsylvania – I'm Tell me if I'm wrong, but it's not the largest state out there. How how long does it take to cross state lines and go buy your video game in the next state over? Yeah, and, and okay, I'd like to read a quote from this rep. One quote, one factor that may be contributing to the rise in an intensity of school violence is the material kids see and act out in video games, end quote. Okay. You know, I, we should like. He did I, his research. <laughs> yes, he did. You know, I, I think we should start sending this guy links to the various studies that have shown that again, there is no link between video game playing and violence. And the question, see, okay, I do agree. I don't really agree with some of the points the author was making towards the end of the article, but like the author, I do agree that taxing video games is not the answer because you know well and again as we've discussed you know a couple of times already video game playing has very little effect on whether people become violent or not there's almost always some other underlying factor that causes people to act out like this and as i said that's not why this tax wouldn't do nothing, and the author also made another point. The point or the plan is that the revenue raised from this bill would go toward funding security measures in school. And the author made a point, quote, okay, so which is it? Are we taxing to fund school security or to, quote, you know, quotation marks, prevent shootings? And 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 just so you know, the real truth of it is is once that tax goes in place, you won't be able to find where those funds are gone. So it doesn't matter whichever. It's just, let's give a reason to tax people more, and then let's tax them. That's, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just the taste of the day. But just like anything else, once the tax is there, where does the money actually go? I'll guarantee you it won't actually go to making your schools any safer. Yeah, and I just... Like I said, I sometimes I seriously wonder what world our politicians live in that they can't do basic research. And again, as we've said before, and we'll probably say a million times before, you know, before we end podcasting, it's just looking for something to blame that is an easy target. And I guess one of the other problems I have with this whole, okay, violent video games. Well, does that mean they're just going to limit it to video games that are rated M for mature? But what if there's a game that's well? What if there's a game that's rated M for mature because maybe foul language or nudity or sex or sex 
but there's no actual real violence in the game. All video games are violent. So all video games will be taxed, not just the because that would be horrible to try to administer. So they'll say it's because of violent video games, but they'll put it on all of them because how do you really because you can't tell me that Morio stomping in forest animals isn't violent in itself. Nope, that's a form of violence. You know, the only the only nonviolent video game that I can think of is Tetris right now. And, well, think of those know, poor blocks at the bottom that are getting other blocks slammed on them. That's violent, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, where do you draw the line? So most likely it won't just be violent video games. It'll be all video games that get taxed. You know, and I'm glad you brought up Mario because I was actually about to go, you know, I was actually about to mention that, that, okay, so then what about Mario jumping on head the heads of Goombas and Turtles? I mean... Nintendo, they, I don't know, if it's, don't know if it's Nintendo or the ESRB, I think they classify stuff like that as comic mischief, but, and that's where, again, I, I, I think you make a good point, where do we draw the line at what's violent? Because obviously jumping on someone and smashing their head in, while maybe it might be comic mischief, it is still violent. You're still killing something, you're squashing it, and... And I think you're right. It's like, okay, how do we know that if this tax does get put into place, how do we know that it is going to be used for its intended purpose of funding school security? But then again, one of the other things that people point out is you look at some of the schools, like, uh, what was that one? Uh, Douglas, Stoneman Douglas Middle, the school in uh, Florida that had the, 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 the shooting a while ago. There was an armed security guard there, but he was outside while the shooting was going on inside. So I don't know. So I I will tell you a story. Sit down. Make yourself at home. We do remember a little thing called 9-11. Why, yes, I do. So I was working in a place. I won't say who because, you know, now that you look back at it, what they did was totally ridiculous. But they decided to make sure that we felt safe at our work, that they would hire a security guard. This security guard was 80 years old, had no gun, and was just supposed to stay there so that we would feel safe. Mind you, you know, it didn't work because... Anybody can outrun the security guard. If you only have one security guard, even if he is armed, there's a more than 50% chance that he'll be shot before anything actually happens. If you have one security guard, because they'll be able to, especially if it's a person who goes to that school, they'll know who the security guard is and they'll know who to go after first. If you have one security guard, that's why it's not enough. And where do you draw the line? Do you want armed guards all over the place? But to be to say, oh, we have a security guard on campus or whatnot. Yeah, you have one and everybody's going to know who the security person is. Because I'm pretty sure they're going to introduce them and go, who's this guy wandering around with a gun in school? They're not going to keep a secret. So yeah, the person's go- the person who decides to do that is probably going to take them out first. 
it's just one of those things. It's like if you're gonna, you know, I don't know how to put this, but you know, it's just it, it's it's security theater at that point. Yeah, and well, I I know it's one of those things where. Okay, the problem of violence and not just gun violence, but, you know, violence in general, it's one of those things where I think you need to approach it from a variety of angles. And I think one thing that, you know, we can agree on and anyone who's got more than five functioning brain cells can agree on, you can't tax people to not into not being violent and. Again, what another point. Okay, so then does that mean used game stores? Do they now have to revamp their, you know, their computer software they use? So like, okay, these games are considered violent, so now we got to charge an extra tax for them. And, you know, of course, your major Mm -hmm. retailers are going to do that. And people have other ways to get violent games. You know, some of them can be emulated on your computer, you know, or, you know, what if someone gets them a, what if somebody gets you know, a, a Walmart or a Best Buy gift card for someone. Well, they'd still have to pay the tax on it, but yeah, yeah. it's it's one of those things where I know we're not. Or, we or what when, like I said, what when they just go across state lines and buy their violent video games out of state so they can avoid the tax? You're what, saying that all those all those companies, not that it's going to be a big, you know, part of their budget, but all those companies that go in that state may just not sell those games now because, well, we have to have them all go for all their game revenue. They're going out of state now. Yeah, and then and also... that will mean that other other things that they might buy, they also buy out of state because of this tax. Yeah, and then another thing to keep in mind, a lot of people do online shopping. So now, I mean, Amazon, how would I? how would they charge this tax there and another example ebay someone sells something on ebay okay it it charges the applicable sales tax but is ebay gonna are they gonna have to redo their website so it recognizes when you're selling a violent video game and it tax on that extra charge yeah it's uh well it's kind of like uh chicago was talking about it too not a violent video game but just an entertainment tax just in the chicago area and people were knocking that down just because, again, you know, so what? I'm just not going to shop in Chicago? Okay. <laughs> You're yeah, and, kind of make it easier. <laughs> you know, that's true. And But, well, now that your faith in humanity has probably been crushed a little bit more, let's – there is a – I'd like to go to a story that hopefully will at least perk you up a little bit. Yes, we know that. There's all this controversy about violent video games, but according to a study that there, there's a recent study that video games can actually uncover your hidden talents and make you happier. So this is an article from The Conversation uh, at thenextweb.com and let's see, trying to find the, the research just so we can get, you know, properly uh, cite, but they were saying that when you okay when you play video games you enter a state of what they called flow so it's a psychological phenomenon characterized by an extreme focus on tasks an innate sense of inner joy matching our skill level with the level of challenge and a lack of self-consciousness so i think 
I don't know. I I just wonder why did they need a scientific study to tell people that video games can make you happy? Before the, all the people who don't understand video games and don't understand why people play them for hours on end. Okay, yeah, that's true. But I just like it because <laughs> I mean I'm glad I found this article because I mean all too often you know when we're hearing stories about you know people claiming that video games are causing people to be violent and. You know, I guess the question that I always wonder why we're not asking is children and teenagers in other countries have access to the same violent video games and movies and TV shows that American youth have, but they have a fraction of the violence that we do. So why aren't we asking that question? But anyways, so the, but like I said, with all you, how we hear all those stories about video games making uh, people violent. It is nice to hear that there is a story where it's shown that video games, yeah, they can have a positive influence on people. They can make you happier. And it was saying that it can it can uh, help you with your problem solving skills. Yeah, I mean, there was a thing I a few years back. As you know, I'm a WoW player, and I was actually like, they're actually saying WoW can create. Uh, better teamwork skills and, and problem-solving skills that employers want to know about. And I'm like, I can see that, but that's the first time I've ever seen an article like that. Yeah. Wow. Somebody actually saying, hey, you know what? These things are actually something maybe employers should be looking at, not because it's a waste of time, because of the about the skills that it can, I don't know how to say it, you know, garner, you know, the, the things that it can promote. So it was, it was like they actually have had, like, you know, things from employers or whatnot saying, hey, you know, it's not all bad. Yeah, and uh, I don't really do much online multiplayer gaming, but I can, I understand how you said how it can help with teamwork, because in a game like WoW, you only get, I mean, you generally only get just one character, correct? You can only play one character at a time. Yeah, you yeah. can learn multiple multiple characters, but you only play one character at a time. And because of the time sync, you usually have something called a main, and that's the one that you'll take first to learn all your dungeons, all your raids, and all all your other stuff. Because you want that one character who you consider the one that you're most enjoy playing. You're going to take them out before any of your others. Yeah, and since not all characters are going to have every possible skill you need, I mean, I'm not, I've am not i never played WoW, so I'm not sure how it works, but I, I assume if it's like D&D, uh, for example, you might have a character, you, your character might be really good at fighting, but he might not have any magic skills. So he may need the help of other players to heal him if he gets injured or to give him stat buffs or whatever. Uh, about the only online gaming or multiplayer gaming I do on a regular basis is with Final Fantasy Record Keeper. A while ago, they introduced raids where you can team up with three other players to take on a big, powerful boss. And what's interesting about it is, okay, you get to bring two characters to the battle. One is in the front row, the other is in the back row. And you, when you're going into one of these rooms where you are, you know, you're getting ready for the raid, you know, you, you get a chance, you can look at what soul breaks and what abilities that 
the other players are bringing into the fight, and that gives you a chance to kind of coordinate and you know decide, okay, what's you know how can I best equip my characters to make this raid successful? Like for example, one of the types of soul breaks or special abilities they introduced are called chains, and each chain has a specific element. Uh, for example, let's say someone brings a fire chain. What that would mean is when you use a fire chain, any fire abilities, whether magical or physical, that a player uses become more powerful. And it, the more people that are using fire abilities, the more damage that those fire attacks are going to start doing. So that's one way that you might uh, you know, look at it and go, okay, I see this person's bringing... You know, maybe I went into the fight, I brought mostly lightning abilities, but I see that person has a fire chain. Then that means I know, okay, maybe what I should do is switch to a character that's really good with fire abilities or switch to abilities that, you know, use that element. So, I don't know. I think it's a good point, and I wish more people would read studies like that showing the positive effects of video games. Especially, oh. uh, especially Pennsylvania State Rep. Uh, you know, Chris, what was his name? Chris Quinn. Well, it's, it's the, it's the fact that somehow this became a narrative. And one thing I've learned, especially recently, is that, that people, once they get a thought or an idea in their head, it's kind of like the anti-vaxxers. It's kind of like some people politically on the, both the right and the left, they just can't think beyond their prescribed notions. They can't open their eyes to take the middle ground and actually learn what's happening, if it makes sense. They ha everything has to fit into their view. And with this video game violence thing, it's kind of sad because the more we waste time trying to trying to prove that there's a link between video games and violence, the less time we're actually taking to solve the real problems. Exactly. And that's the, tr that's the true, truest sadness that there is, is that there are real problems. There, there is something more possibly going on. But because we want to have this quick fix, we don't want to really solve the problem. We're going to fixate on this video game violent versus... You know what Trying will to find actually, a solution. yeah. What will actually make our children safer? What will actually make people? What will actually make the world a better place? No, let's just blame something that's inconsequential so people feel better for a few moments. Exactly. So the this moves this brings us to our opinion section, and you had the idea for this week's opinion, which you called. Who asked for this? So why don't you explain what made you want to talk about this topic for the opinion section? This made me think about this because there's been a lot of conversations right now um, on there's a trend going out that there are no leaders right now, really. Sony, you could say Sony and their first party studios, you know, they are leaders right now. But everybody kind of wants to follow the success of somebody else, right? Everybody has to have their um, 
uh, battle royale right now. So every game has to have a battle royale. There was a thing of you know in the two thousands where everything had to be a military first person shooter, right? And everything had to follow this formulaic type of thing. And it got me to thinking, when we look back at, if you remember, I think our first or second podcast, we had this thing where people were like, there's this Diablo game that's going to come out for cell phones, Diablo Immortal, and who asked for this? And I just wanted to go back to a time, you may remember it, when no one asked for anything. Do you remember a time when you'd pick up a game magazine for video games and you'd be surprised at all the new things coming out? Like everything was different. Everything had a different kind of feel. Everything had, and the video game companies were just there and they just made things based on what they wanted to make, like not following any formulas, not following any kind of checklist of what has to be in there. Yeah, not following <laughs> the trends when they were actually not afraid to take chances. And I miss, yes, I, I agree. I, I kind of miss those days. And I think, see, I think one of the reasons that video game designers, why they tend to try to follow trends, like you were, you know, you were pointing out how like, you know, battle royales are the big trend right now. I think, and honestly, I can kind of see a parallel with this in the, in role-playing games as well. You know, because when the, back when Dungeons and Dragons 3rd Edition came out and when Wizards of the Coast released the, the open gaming license, now all of a sudden you had a market that was flooded with people making their various, D20 stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, some of them, some of them were pretty good. And some of those companies did eventually move on to create other things, but it also created a, a flood in the market where it became harder for people to get into distribution because they had a D20 game. And the reason for that was because these game stores, they didn't know which one of these, which of these products would sell, which ones wouldn't. So they just didn't want to take a chance on them. And I mean, I'm not, I know we're not here to talk about role-playing games and what, uh, you know, the OGL did to the, the D and D system or what OGL did to RPGs. That would actually be more of a geekery in general topic, but. Well, and if you want, I would be more than happy to join that one because that's okay. a that's a very interesting. Pro I still remember going into like places like Chimeras and just seeing all the, you know, I had a and this is just a personal thing. I had a game that I was really looking forward to, made by uh, White Wolf called, uh, well, it was called Aeon at that point, but it was later called Trinity, and I was so grumpy the day I found. D20 Aberrant, D20 Adventure, and D20 Trinity. I was like, really? These have systems that are okay on their own. There's no reason that this should be D20. Yeah. Yeah, and, but, again, to get back to my point, the reason I think that they probably follow, try to follow these trends, it's about money, which, I, I mean, you can't blame them. We know that video games do cost, uh, you know, a lot of money to create, and to market, 
and companies do exist to make money. So you can't fault them for wanting to run a successful uh, company. But the problem is, I think companies are starting, at least the, so maybe some of the larger companies, they're afraid to take chances. So they're going to stick with what they know sells. And, okay, it was Matt Pat uh, from Game Theory. He had an interesting episode. Uh, it was probably like two, maybe three years ago. But he was t uh, pointing out that gamers don't want innovation because he pointed out that uh, he was using the Mario series as an example, that the Mario games that tended to sell the best were the side-scrolling ones that were in the style of some of the earlier ones. And one of the, one of the games he made as an, exam as an example was uh, Mario Sunshine. It didn't sell quite as well, but yet the critics liked the game because it was it was a new take on, you know, the Mario franchise and the game mechanics that we were used to. So, do you think it's almost a? Do you think it's more of the fault of the gamers for not being willing to embrace new ideas, or do you think that maybe the game companies just aren't implementing these new ideas well enough that? it makes people want to break break away from their comfort zones. So I've got two theories about it because one of my questions about this too is like when we see with Diablo, one of the reasons supposedly, now knowing Activision, I don't know if I can throw this very far for a thing, was that the guy in Diablo Immortal, right? He was kind of burnt out from everything that he did. So they said, well, why not do a, a cell phone game? You know, take some time off, do a cell phone game. That's pretty. That's going to be pretty easy. Here, we got everything already done for you, right? And the question I had, too, was based on yours, you just pretty much brought it out. How much, because in Morio, we know what to expect from Morio, right? Or at least supposedly we do. This is this is what Morio is, right? If it yeah. goes off the kilter, if it goes off the rails, that's no longer Morio. In the same token, Diablo, we know what Diablo is. If you change it a little, the only game that doesn't really do that is Final Fantasy. Because we expect Final Fantasy to be different every time we pick up a new title. They've kind of always been that way. So do... So artistic expression versus what we want, I think, and the problem, and one of the other problems we have is during the time when I grew up versus possibly maybe the 2000s, you'd have to, you'd have to go with me on this one a little bit. We saw more sequels versus actual new games. Yeah, and I think, again, it's because the companies, they want to, since the video game industry it has become so competitive because look, you've got all these indie publishers out there and they're not just distributing their games as freeware or shareware. You know, they, they're, they've got their games on, you know, the Nintendo switch or the Xbox live store, or, you know, they're, they're able to make their games available through steam. So again, in a way it, it, it has a certain parallel to the role playing game industry where you don't have to be a large company anymore to get your ideas out there. 
in the case of the role playing game industry, it is possible to get your uh, you know, as I said, it is possible to get your ideas and get your products out there without having to spend tons and tons of money. And I think with, uh, you know, it's probably getting to be the point with video games because you've got, you know, you've got programs out there that will let you program your own games and you can actually sell them if you want, uh, you know, so you don't have to worry about like getting licensing rights or whatever. So, yeah. But I, I mean, I, but, I do. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's the real question sometimes that we have is, are there certain expectations to a sequel that if game companies would just make new IP and developers, would they not have so much trouble? Would we be able to sol solve the problem of who asked for this? Because when you have a sequel, people come back for what they think the game is. When you have something, a new IP, you're coming for a new experience. You're not, That's... you don't have any pre-considered notions of what that game is going to be. That's true. And you think that sometimes it almost frightens gamers because, I mean, maybe let's say you see a game, I don't know, let's make up a title, um... Killer Kitty Cats from Hell against uh, the Dragon Clan of Tigers. Okay, I just made that up because I'm looking at my cat right now, and I've got a, I've got a, a piece of artwork in my computer room here that's got a dragon and a tiger on it. So that's why that made no sense whatsoever. But okay, so you've got that game, and. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not based on a, a property that you're familiar with, whether it's Zelda or Final Fantasy or Mario. So you might not, unless you've read reviews or seen gameplay footage of it, you want, might not really know what to expect with that game, and thus you might not know if you're actually going to enjoy it or not. Uh, and you look at how much games cost nowadays, you know, where a, a new game, AAA title, can easily cost you 50, 60 bucks if you're getting it right away and not waiting for it to go to, uh, you know, you're not waiting for it to go to your local local game store. So not everyone has a lot of disposable income where they can afford to buy several new games a month. So they might be like of the mindset, well, if I can only afford to get myself a new game every you know month or two, I want, to, I want to make sure it's a game that I know I'm going to like. So, again, using Mario as an example, you have those pre... You have those expectations of what that Mario game is going to entitle. You know that chances are you're going to be... It's probably going to be a side-scroller. There's probably going to be familiar mechanics like different types of power-ups you can use to go through the level chances are Bowser is going to have something to do with it. But then again, I've also seen Nintendo make Mario games that weren't like what we expected, and they were mm -hmm. successful, such as the Mario Roll, you know, Mar Super Mario RPG or the Paper Mario RPG games. Again, not what the types of Mario games that we're used to, but they were still well-received by fans and critics. So it's it's one of those things. I think it's a very interesting topic of, you know, should people loosen up their expectations? In the fact of Diablo Immortal, 
I mean, that's just technically looks like a cash grab. So were people's yeah, you know, reactions correct? I mean, it's really hard to say no, it wasn't. No, those yeah. guys were totally out of line. People saying they're entitled or whatnot. No, you know, th- this is so far off of what a Diablo game should be according to the people who play Diablo. You know, it's not just a reimagining. It's not just a whatchamacallit. It's going to be a game on a cell phone with microtransactions. How devastating those microtransactions are going to be. If somebody made, you know, a Diablo game, and I don't even know how they would do it, but and made it slightly different. Like, let's say they made a first-person Diablo game in the essence of like Skyrim. Nobody would complain about that. Even if it was on a cell phone, probably no, because it would be a fresh take of something else and they would know, but then to copy it down and make half baked, you know, cell phone game that's pretty much a reskin of another game that came out in China. <laughs> well, nobody really wants that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. kind of like we kind of want something new, not something just reskinned from another game. And it's it, and in that case, you know, I can see the thing, but I I wonder at the same time, can this actually hurt the industry? Because when the industry was fresh and good, no one ever knew what was coming next. No one ever you know asked for anything because we were given such new experiences all the time. Yeah, and it another one that it brings to mind is remember when we talked about Alien Blackout and it went, when it was discovered that it was going to be a a cell phone game, and I mentioned Mr. H reviews when he talked about it, he's like, yeah, we've basically got Five Nights in Freddy's with in space with the Alien franchise slapped on it. Who asked for this? You know, who asked for an Alien game on their cell phone? That was basically Five Nights at Freddy's. And I don't know. I think I, I think it all, honestly, I'd have to, to sum it up. I think it's on both sides. On one hand, we've got game companies that they're afraid to develop new franchises or new intellectual properties that they don't think are going to be successful, which is a legitimate concern. But on the other hand, as gamers, I think sometimes we, you know, we're also afraid of trying out these new games as well. Now, I think mm-hmm. in an era of like YouTube and, you know, the Internet where you've got all this information at your fingertips, it can make making those decisions can be a little easier. Like that game I was talking about with, you know, cats and dragon tigers and whatever, uh, let's say you do find out, you see, do see that game in the store. You don't know anything about it. You can always go look it up on YouTube. You know, watch a, you know, watch someone do a playthrough of it. Go look at online reviews, and that might help you decide if it's the kind of game that you might get into. Well, and I think that it that hits the nail on the head a lot. I think one of the things that kind of that I think game companies are only starting to realize is going to be a problem for them is the YouTube community and how much where before, I mean, I don't remember. Do you remember GameSpot with uh, their editor, Jeff Gersman? No, I don't. He later came to 
run the website uh, Giant Bomb, but he refused to give the game a good review and was fired because he wouldn't toe the line for the company. Um, because at that point it was paid, you know, they did paid reviews. Okay, yeah, I think, um, it, I, think and, I remember you mentioning something about that, yeah. And here's something that we just heard something recently about, I believe, where uh, I think there was an Anthem person got Anthem and made bad comments or said that it wasn't really the game that everybody had been looked at. And supposedly he had his credentials for free copies or whatnot taken away from him. And I think game companies themselves are really starting to look at the YouTube community going, we have no control over these people. They don't, they don't necessarily care whether they have access to events and they're telling the truth about these games and we can't stop them. And honestly, I think that's for the best because since, I mean, people doing non-paid reviews, they're, they're going to be giving a more honest opinion because they, they don't have to be like, well, this company gave me $500 to say this game is good. I should probably say it's good. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. But, well, I think it's time to call this episode to a close. So, uh, hopefully we've, like I said, I, I know we've talked about some things on this show that probably destroyed your faith in humanity, but hopefully we built it up a little bit too. So, with that said, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. And get out there and keep on gaming. Hey, this is Nick and Alex, and we're here to tell you a little bit more about Dungeon Junkies. Now, we're a podcast that's based in Austin, Texas, and we are hell-bent on making you laugh. Absolutely. We have some fantastic storytelling uh, with some badass characters and even better music, as well as a ton of jokes to make you laugh. So join Fenworth, Taryn, and Dr. Euphoria, and our sexy DM, Kenny, on a quest to save the world or destroy it. I guess whichever one comes first. <laughs> and you can also check out our Real Talk episodes where we get meta inside our campaign and really figure out the depths of our characters and also the story. So check us out on www.dungeonjunkies.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dungeon Junkies. Because not all adventurers are meant to be heroes. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.